All right, welcome to Storytime. Our speaker today is James P. from the Reason and Recovery Group, filling in at the last minute because he's awesome. I'm going to hand it over to him. James, you're on, darling. All right, I'm unmuted. Uh, James P., alcoholic from Arizona, currently in Colorado, and I'll be moving here from in three weeks. Um, as Megan mentioned, I do have a home group. It's Reason and Recovery. Um, just a little bit up front. Um, I have a little over 20 months sobriety. This is not my first attempt. Um, I mostly attend secular meetings. I identify as agnostic. Uh, to me, that means... Uh, I don't know if God exists, but in everyday life, it doesn't really matter to me because if God does exist, they're not going to come down and do anything for me. Um, what else? I am, I am last, I am, this is, this is last minute. So just give me a, and I don't have all my caffeine in me. So give me a second to compose myself and we'll get we'll get rolling. I don't want to spend a lot of time on, you know, drunk logs. I do. It, it is story time. And I do like the stories. It is the reason that I got in uh, into the rooms in the first place, um, or at least really uh, started to appreciate what AAA was about. Um, I, I came in on a court card, I got three DUIs, I should have spent a year in prison. Um, I got off on one of those DUIs on the technicality and it saved me from going to prison. It also introduced me to AA, but at that time I had absolutely no intention of stopping drinking. I did not think drinking was a problem. I thought automobiles and driving was a problem. That's why I got DUIs, not, not because of the liquor. So my solution was going to be to move to a, a more concentrated area and live out my days walking to and to and fro bars. Um, part of my court sentencing was to attend 30 AA meetings along with a little bit of jail and, you know, a lot of fines. And I, I think the reason the court systems do that is because not everybody responds to certain things. Some people have a lot of money, so, you know, money doesn't affect them. Some people are not afraid of jail. Um, you know, I was one of those people. Um, uh, the AA is really what affected me. Um, I was also forced to have a, a, a monitoring device in my house that at all hours of the day, it would sound like a police siren going off. Um, and I would have to blow into that and it would make sure that I wasn't drinking. So I was forced to stay sober for, I think it was like 60 days. Um, so that allowed my head to clear. In the meantime, I was going to AA meetings and some other drug kind of alcohol diversion classes. So I got a lot of AA and a lot of, uh, you know, cognitive therapy at that time. But it was in AA that I, after sitting through and listening to people's stories, I came in like a lot of us with that terminal uniqueness. I'm like, nobody was a skater. Nobody was a punk rocker. Nobody had 
the family life that I did. Nobody hated God like I did. Nobody, you know, I, I really had that terminal uniqueness. I thought there had to be, you know, somebody exactly like me. Um, but after I listened to a bunch of the people share their stories, I'm like, you know, uh, holy shit, there's a lot of people out there that have very uh, similar stories. Um, and these are people that, you know, like it says in the big book, I guess that's another disclosure. I, I do attend secular meetings. I do also attend traditional meetings. I am a big believer in the big book first 164 pages and I believe in having a sponsor and working the steps so I'll throw that I meant to say that in the beginning um but like it says in the big book uh these are people that would normally not mix um and and you know I found that true I I don't think I would have you know mixed with some of the shopping cart you know kind of meetings and the people off the street potentially even though I did hang out with a lot of homeless people when I was drinking and I did hang out with a lot of people that did drugs and meth because they were the only people still awake when I was drinking at three, four o'clock in the morning. I was never like uh, other people, other people that drank. I mean, the people I hung out with, they drank a lot, but I was the only one that was staying up till three, four o'clock in the morning. Um, but it was in the rooms of uh, uh, traditional brick and mortar meetings that I began to hear these stories and identify that I, I, I was an alcoholic. I did have a problem and that if I kept down this path, I was going to end up in the, you know, the jails, the institutions or dead or killing somebody even worse. Um, so I, I, Got a sponsor at that time. This was back, this was about 15 years ago now. I got a sponsor at that time. Um, I did work the steps. Uh, the only one I really didn't work was 12 um, because I didn't go out and, you know, uh, uh, give back to the community and sponsor other people. Um, I, I skipped immediately to the 13th step at that point against, you know, my sponsor's advice. Um, I, I felt good. I this is the first time in um you know 15 years that I my mind was not clouded by drugs and alcohol and I began to uh feel things again I began to get in touch with my emotions so I think I experienced at this initial time um that that pink cloud that they talk about um you know, I felt good. I, you know, I had worked, I worked the steps. I'd done what was asked of me and I felt good. Um, and I was younger. I thought that you graduated AA and I still had some of that terminal uniqueness and that ego where I'm like, you know what? I don't want to fucking hang around with these people. I just, uh, I, I got what I thought that I needed from, um, AA and I, I uh, left at that time. Um, and that was after about a year, a year sobriety. I apologize for the phone ringing. I'm in the hotel. Uh, so I had about a year of sobriety at that time. Um, and I left AA. And I uh, went on to, you know, uh, live my life and 
got into a relationship with a, another person that was in AA that had similar time. Um, and I, you know, had a, a job and never really suffered any, uh, you know, consequences after that. I, I remained sober, um, but I was not emotionally sober. I was not happy. Um, I was not excelling at my job. I was not excelling in my relationship. I was still having um, all the problems that that one would have that an alcoholic, you know, might have if they're not working a program. Um, and that's exactly what I did. I I wouldn't. I don't like the term white knuckle because the obsession to drink had left me. Um, I was, I, I don't think I could have spent nine years, uh, without drinking if I was constantly thinking about drinking. So that obsession had left me, but, uh, I was, I did not have any emotional sobriety. Um, so about 10 years, into sobriety in uh, 2017, I found myself sitting on a beautiful beach in uh, Florida, and my uh, father-in-law was drinking a nice IPA, something they didn't have, you know, when I quit drinking 10 years previously, and I'm on vacation, I'm like, that looks good, let me have one of those, and it was as simple as that not a lot of thought about it. Um, I just, I just did that. Um, and it was good. And I had a few, a few of those and I did not get drunk. I did not get, uh, you know, like I used to get, um, I thought I was cured. I thought I could drink like a normal drinker, or at least that's what I told myself. Um, and I told myself I was only going to do this on vacations. And as soon as I got back home, it's like, well, you know, I'm only going to do it on weekends. And this, as you could probably guess, only lasted a couple of weeks. Um, and I, I went right back to right back to drinking like I was, except my circle this time was a lot smaller and I, I was not drinking and driving. So I thought I could control it this time in terms of consequences. I, I thought I could at least control the consequences of it. Um, but I, you know, I, I started sneaking drinks. I would go out into the garage and uh, drink hard liquor so I could get, get drunk quicker. So my, you know, at this time I'm in a house living with uh, the same person that I uh, got involved with that's now my wife. Um, and I was hiding it from her and I was getting drunk almost every night. And I did this for almost three years and I started to suffer some consequences, you know, blacking out. Uh, I was approached by police with a gun in my backpack. Um, I uh, sprained my ankle several times in a blackout. I did drink and drive again. Um, so it was, it was back that, that it always gets worse, never better. Um, and, and that's true. 
uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much worse you get than having a gun in your backpack and having the police approach you. That could have been a very bad situation, but I still wasn't done. Um, I became done on uh, 12, 12-5-2020 12, is my sobriety date. One day after my birthday, that's no coincidence, I went out with a bang. I got blackout drunk on my birthday and uh, gave myself a sprained ankle and then proceeded to drive uh, early in the morning from California to Arizona, which is about a 13-hour a drive. And I didn't even know my ankle was sprained until about six hours into the trip because I was still intoxicated. And of all places I could have stopped, I stopped in Las Vegas, the party capital of, you know, the USA. Um, and I decided right then and there, I, I was not going to drink again. Um, and I did not. And I, I, I got home the next day um, on 12-6 back in Arizona. My wife had also decided to stop drinking. Um, and she started attending AA meetings. Uh, I did not think I needed AA still. I had stayed sober for almost 10 years, nine years without AA. I did not want to come back into the rooms. Um, so she, she went to AA for a couple of, couple of months and kind of let me, let me be, which is exactly how it needed to happen. I'm, uh, stubborn and I don't like to be told what to do. Um, so she, she just, she worked on herself and she let me be, and she would ask me occasionally if I wanted to attend a meeting and about two months in, I, I did attend my first meeting. Um, and then I didn't, I didn't really love that meeting. So I found, I ended up finding a secular meeting, Joe C's meeting beyond belief in Toronto. And, uh, he happened to have a speaker that day. And I don't, like I said, I don't believe in God, but I, there was a little bit of serendipity in that moment because the speaker was an old punk rock person. And one of the first things I heard him say is that there is no hierarchy in AA. I'm, you know, I might be your sponsor, but I might have 30 years, but there's no hierarchy. You know, maybe the only thing I've done differently than you is I've worked the steps, but there's no hierarchy in AA. And I really like that coming from a non-authority uh, figure type of situation. So that really spoke to me. I had no idea who this guy was. Um, apparently he had wrote a book about recovery. Somebody in the meeting looked, looked his name up and they asked him um, uh, that he had two books on there. One was kind of his life story and the other one was about recovery. And the person asked if uh, if they should get this book. And he's like, oh, no, don't get that book because it was his life story. And he was, you know, he was a hellion. He was a punk rocker just like me. And he went out and raised hell. So, of course, that's the first book that I got. I read it and really resonated with it. I got his recovery book. I read that. Um, great book. It's called The Principle of Recovery by Jack Grisham. If you like something a little bit different, it's short, it's sweet. I like how he, he has a very interesting story. Um, but that's what brought me into AA. 
And as soon as uh, I got that hook, uh, I did about 200 meetings in less than 60 days because I wanted to find, because Zoom, I mean, that's, this has got to be the greatest thing that uh, happened during the pandemic is, is Zoom. Um, so I went to 200 meetings in less than 60 days. Uh, I found a sponsor that really resonated with me um, and got to work immediately. I, I did not put off doing the, doing the work. Um, and, you know, I took service commitments and got heavily involved in, in service. And I'll be honest, the, the first year was kind of a, a whirlwind. Uh, I just, I just kept busy and I, life was still kind of hectic. There was a lot of things going on with my marriage and selling a home and just a lot of stuff was happening, but about the year mark, it started to slow down a bit. And, and some of the things that I had been hearing in the rooms and talking to my sponsor about and talking to other alcoholics about, um, and, and, you know, some of the step work, um, it finally started to sink in. It was, it's, it's, I, I think the biggest change that's happened with me is that I am, I want it now. I, I want everything now. Um, and I've been able to do, do things consistently, build good habits and, um, and put some of these principles uh, in, into my daily daily life. And I didn't notice the changes because they happened slowly, but other people began to notice the changes in me, um, you know, mainly, mainly my wife and, and things just started to get better. Um, and then things started to get, you know, really good. Uh, And I, I would say, you know, you're really not, I, my, my personal belief is, is until you experience something, um, I, I, my analogy is, is everybody's safe in that harbor. Like if you're, if you're in a harbor when you're first in AA and you're surrounded by everybody and there's no winds and there's no waves, you know, everything's great. It's not until you get out of that harbor and you, uh, you know, experience uh, maybe, maybe a storm out in the sea. And I experienced that storm um, in April when I had to put down my best friend um, and, you know, companion in life, my 13 year old uh, German shepherd. I love that dog, you know, more than life itself is what I told myself. And I, if there was, if you would have asked me one thing that could potentially take me out and make me drink or make me just hit a fuck it button, it would have been that. That would have been the number one thing. And not only was I able to handle that with a little bit of uh, dignity um, and, and composure and give do right by my dog and, you know, uh, give him a good quality of life and not make him suffer for selfish reasons because I wanted him around longer. Um, I was able to not only be there for myself, but I was able to be there for my wife who had also uh, grown up, you know, with, with this dog for 12 years, who also loved that dog. 
I was able to be there for her. That's something I would have never been able to do sober, not definitely not sober, but without emotional sobriety, without having uh, worked the steps uh, and, and really just been in the, the center of the herd. Um, because I had to reach out and lean on people. The community really came through. The people that I talk to on a daily basis, the people I share with the meetings. I went to a meeting that night and led. I, I don't know if I did a speaker on that one. I, I might even did a speaker meeting, but I, I definitely hosted. Um, and, you know, I was able to share and, and people were there for me. Um, and so I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in the principles of, of AA, the, the openness, the willingness, um, and the honesty. And uh, I think the fellowship is really what was missing because there's a lot of shit out there. You know, there's... There's self-help books. I read all those. There's Buddhism. There's there's all kinds of stuff. And I think I, I don't like organized religion, but I think what was always missing for me is I envied them in some sort because they had a fellowship. Uh, people would circle the wagons around them when something would happen. And, you know, you hear people say, I've found my tribe. Well, that's true for me. Um, and initially I resisted that because I thought I didn't want to hang around you fucking people. Um, the reality was, is when I was sitting at the bars, I was hanging around you people. The only thing that's different is, is we're not drinking anymore. We're still just as fun. We're still just as funny. Um, I've found all that true to, you know, for me personally. And, uh, This time around, it's like what's what's really different is that I don't think you graduate. Um, I I, I want to be at meetings most of the time. You know, <laughs> it's still life. AA is not perfect. And uh, that's one of the things my sponsor shares with me. He says that, that one of the things that takes out uh, people that have time um, it's not resentment. It's that they think that they can't come in here and share uh, honestly and be raw and share where they're at because they think that they have time and they think that they're supposed to sound a certain way and they think that they, you know, should have everything fucking figured out. And that's that's not that's not reality. That's not my experience. Um, my life has gotten a hell of a lot better, but I'm still making mistakes all the time. And the only thing I can do is come in here and get to know people and have people get to know me. That way they can call me on my bullshit or, you know, help uh, self-correct me. And I can do the same for them. Um, so I I don't know. I just, uh, I, I really... I really love the program. I love the fellowship. Um, and it's, it's, it's changed my life. It's, they, it's, it's not a, 
it's not an easy program, but it's a simple one. Um, and, and I really believe that. So, yeah, I think that's, that's all I have to say. I, uh, I, I, I really do love the program. I appreciate Megan for asking me to step up last minute. Uh, I was not expected to do this. I had no prepared speech and you know what, sometimes that's the best. So, um, I, I appreciate you guys being here. Um, and thanks for being part of my sobriety today.